0: Patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more.
1: Welcome to
0: Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to a very special episode of Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker and our virtual Zoom buddy, Lisa Murphy. Hello. So, hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> So, uh, so Heather, we, I mean, we've 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 hemmed and hawed about this in past episodes, but um, the like the regular weekly runs of Renegade Rules is over, and we're going to be popping back in with periodic episodes like this one from time to time because uh, you're you're moving on and starting a book based author-based podcast and I'm I'm starting another project with uh, Tamar Jacobson and and we don't want to we don't want to kill off renegade rules but we want to want to have some time for some other things as well is that where we're at I, I'm sure you'd say yeah. it a little bit differently but no,
2: that's fantastic and I'm not even sure um, that we've told listeners that we're thinking of moving on in this direction so if this is news to you um, yes we're not abandoning you completely but we're not going to go on the every week. A schedule that's been going for five. Yeah,
0: we're just abandoning you a little bit. Just a little (laughs) bit here and
2: there. And coming back when we have huge passion on a certain topic or something that just needs to be said. So we will not be gone forever. And by the way, my new endeavor, my new author podcast has a name now.
0: Oh, yeah. What is it? (laughs) It's
2: always, always hard to come up with names, but we are called Word Smitten because we are all smitten by words and we live in the state of Michigan, which people who live here know secret that we're called the mitten state because the lower peninsula looks like a mitten. So for those of you who don't live in Michigan, you wouldn't get that inference unless we tell you. But so, so,
0: Heather, is the is the show going to be full of lots of uh, inside Michigan jokes and references, or can other no. will, will will it be accessible for people who live outside of Michigan? I
2: think if you can understand English to a passable degree, it will be understandable to all people listening. Yes. Good. And good. The only thing we're planning to have be in secret code is the name, which has a double meaning. Anyway, so you're all set.
0: Is there going to be a mitten on in the logo?
2: Not completely. No, we're still we're still devising that. Likely to have a book.
0: it will be delightful. So we got Lisa Murphy here and let's talk to her. What are we talking about in this very special episode?
2: Well, um, Lisa was talking the other day um, to me about diversity in children's books and I started to get really excited. And so I thought we should just devote this episode to this topic that's something I think we're both really passionate about. Um, Lisa, I, I think you said that years ago you used to even do a workshop on uh, children's books for early childhood folks.
1: I did. I had a, a workshop that I did that was called "Making Time for Books and Stories," and the just some context in the workshop. It was I called it the Circle Time Workshop, and but it was more focused on the the books element of it. And so I would talk about really in a nutshell that if you were going to interrupt you know, a room full of engaged children to come to the carpet for what you might call circle time or large group time, that it needed to be um, relevant, real, meaningful. And it better be a darn good meeting if you're going to interrupt them to essentially come to a meeting. And uh, so I would do the workshop. I would bring a table full of books and I'd read some of the books I would kind of model reading well, you know, for whatever that means. And and then uh, I shelved it after. Oh shoot. After, yeah, I shelved the, the workshop for a while because I was well aware of the fact, this was before COVID, um, it needed some attention, like it needed some infusion of more um, intentionally, you know, curated books, right? To be more mindful of diversity, to be more mindful of just having a, a broader representation of, of good quality children's literature. So I shelved it for a while because I figured, okay, this is going to take some time to do this, to go do some research, get go to the library and get in touch with um, Isabel Baker from uh, the book vine for children and and you know start building up my knowledge of what the new books are because although I don't think there was anything uh, wrong with the books that I displayed I think there could have been some books added if that makes sense right and uh, and so then COVID happened and I found myself with some time and so that's what I started doing so I relaunched the workshop with. Um, uh, I, I would honestly say, I, I don't know if necessarily much of the session has changed, except being more mindful of talking specifically to th- that issue, you know, let's make sure that there's still good books and not just books that are perhaps, you know, ticking off a check mark of, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, be too People
2: have been doing that. I know that, um, you know, people... Well, my mom's been a preschool teacher for years and I remember when accreditation started asking people to do different things, there was checklists and, you know, do your books um, represent a variety of different ethnic and racial backgrounds? And you kind of go, mm, okay, put this book up quickly so it can be seen and check that off the list. As, as people weren't really getting the point of it at sure. first, they were really just taking something off a checklist. And as people are getting a deeper awareness of one, how important this is and two, that some books are really going to spark a lot more imagination and joy um, and thoughtfulness am- among the children than others. So let's, there's so many thousands of good ones out there. Let's at least make the ones that we make readily available to kids, um, ones that are really worth their time. It's kind of like what you just said, what's worth interrupting children for? Well, let's make sure the books we read to them are worth interrupting that other kind of play too, not just exactly. what I call it a junk book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's too many, I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful episode to have too is, is junk books. And uh, Jeff and I um, put together the book audit years ago, which I still think is, is a, is a good tool. And I think that's available on it's on the play uh, HQ site. Yeah. It's a, it's a tool for going through and, and picking
0: out all those junk books and, and uh, weeding them out of, uh, out of the children's library because uh you know, it's, it's a waste of space when there's so much good stuff you could have out there.
1: It is. And I recently went through with the updating of the workshop and I added to the book audit um, just being mindful because when we initially wrote that, I don't think we intentionally, you know, I don't think we intentionally highlighted like, let's pay attention to Making sure that we are providing an anti bias more diverse and not just ethnically diverse, right? And skin color diverse, but lifestyle diverse, you know, just different things and making sure that there's still a good book. I mean, I just, I, I think I, that's the, that's the horse, the dead horse that I think I keep beating, you know, just because it's got two mommies and the little boy is wearing a dress doesn't necessarily mean that it's good literature for crying out loud. It still needs to be a book that um, you would be willing to read to an adult, you know, like, d- did it make, we used to say, did it make you run off the plane and say, "Oh my God, I have to call Jeff Johnson. This is one of the best children's books I've ever read." You know, to quote um, Mem Fox. You know, do you get that that emotional response to it? Does it make you cry, laugh, vomit, shiver, <laughs> sigh, weep, or fall over in hysterics? And if not, it's a waste of our time, our money, and our precious 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 trees. And I think that is that's the filter that I forever come back to. Mm-hmm.
2: I hope you don't get too many of those vomit books that could be, you know. Could you
1: imagine though? I can't say as I've ever been called to vomit from reading a a book.
2: (laughs) But there, I mean, certainly in adult books, there are ones that turn your stomach because of the the topics they get into in in artistic detail. Um, But that's not to say that kids books can't delve into really tricky, icky stuff because um, children, young children and their families are dealing with all sorts of things and, and, and those maybe who are having a, a life that's pretty calm right now doesn't mean that they can't be thinking about these, thinking about fellow um, neighbors and, and humans and, and learning through stories because that is so powerful. So when we were talking about junk books too, one of the things that I consider junk books are ones that uh, maybe it's a retelling of a story, but that they I'll end it with that happy twist where everybody, you know, comes back from the dead and everybody's happy and everybody's friends. And it's not a story anymore. It's somebody who said, kids can't handle this. They can't. Well, And, and
1: I've paid this. you that compliment. I will interrupt you for that one with reading um, the Griffin's book. And, and that was one of the f- the things that I loved the m- most about it was that you, you didn't shy away from some well, I don't want to say scary things, but you, you know, you, it was real. It it didn't have that sugary coated. It's got to ha- be happy because it's for children. Um, cause God forbid they have a real feeling or a real emotional reaction to something, especially if it's something that they might have their own personal, uh, like a connection with their own experience with something that they are reading in the pages. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, somebody told me I couldn't have written my, uh, Griffins of Castle Carey book if I hadn't had all this social emotional early childhood philosophy that's put forward in my it's okay not to share books so it's it's basically ghosts have feelings too <laughs> so so let's um what are some of the things when you were revamping your course that that um got you excited or surprised you you know what what's what did you discover a little bit
1: um, that there is actually a lot of resources online to assist you in, in making more of an intentionally curated, if I can say that, although that sounds awful technical, uh, books or libraries for your home or even just of the books that you're selecting at, at, the, at the library, you know, not that you have to go buy all of the books that, that you know, your kids are exposed to, um, the socialjusticebooks.org website, I think for people who need a, a helping hand or a boost with figuring out, well, what are some really good books? What are some books? You know, I think I, you, if you got to, you know, admit it, right? If Well, no, that didn't come out right. If the books that I have are filled with all, I'm Caucasian. And if they're all filled with only Caucasian families, or, you know, this, the traditional kind of dad, mom, kid model, and I'm like, I don't know where to start. I found that that particular website, socialjusticebooks.org, was a very good place to start. And also because embedded on the website, it's not just book suggestions, but there's other articles that kind of flesh out the topic a little bit more, going back to revisiting what we know about anti-bias curriculum. You know, what do we know about books? What have we learned about books? What have we learned that, um, you know children respond to or that are accurate representations. The, the thing I got best, uh, not best, but the thing that I think helped me the most with sharing this information with new audiences is taking the time to check the books for stereotypes and tokenism and invisibility, you know, who's not represented in this story. Um, and the copyright date, what I've started saying is that, you know, some of the, I'm 51, You know some of the books that I grew up having people read to me, they haven't aged well. And that's, that's kind of what I say, you know, they, they haven't. And, you know, I mean, I, I revisited all the books in my own personal collection. When I started reading the porch time story times, when the COVID started and you know, I hadn't read Tiki Tiki Tembo for a while and I sat down and read it, of course, before I read it on the porch. And I was like, mm, yeah, I I don't know if I should read this anymore, um, you know, based on the last sentence and the last stating how they kind of wrapped it all up, you know. And did you ever engage in reading that book because you had negative feelings or negative associations with people? You know, from a different culture, no. But I'm reading the whole book now with kind of a wider lens, and I'm not necessarily sure that I want to have a stereotype be how you know. You know what I, I mean? I don't need to to keep rattling on. But then also, who wrote it? The copyright date and who wrote it? We have uh, a lot of white people writing books about cultures and narratives that aren't their own, and I think it would be. Uh, wise on us to, uh, you know, find people of color writing about their own cultures instead of you know us make me perhaps making an assumption that I know about something when really I might not. So, so that's uh, that's
0: whoa, whoa whoa I got a question. I'm sure you do. Um. So. Heather's working on a book about pirates, but she's as far as I know, Heather's done lots of jobs. She's she's uh, worked with llamas and garbage in Antarctica and everything. As far as I know, she's never been a pirate. Can she write about
1: being pirate? Well, No, I I think that's I I don't want to say that that's missing the point. I think it's it's more of being aware that there are authors of children's books who aren't Caucasian who have stories to tell. And I think, I'm speaking from my own lens here, guys. I'm, I'm not, I'm sure. I don't even know if I would extrapolate this to early childhood. I am not, well, I mean, obviously I'm in early childhood, but I was not familiar with other children's authors. I knew the books that I knew, you know, I knew the books that I saw for sale at conferences and I was very mindful over the last year of just seeing what else is out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I yeah. think that's that's mostly what it is. I mean, I'm not saying you can't write about something. Heather, have you been not. a pirate? Exactly. You can't. I'm not saying that at all.
0: Well,
2: you don't know all my past history, but I will <laughs> say that I worked on tall ships on the Atlantic Ocean for a while. So I have done part of it, which is the sailing part. Um, also, not the, not
0: the plundering part,
2: <laughs> not the plundering the
1: pillaging part. part.
2: So, um, obviously, I have a foot in a lot of different communities, and one of them is fellow authors and writers. Uh, There's big debate, and there's fear on a lot of sides, especially fear among white writers, that there won't be room for their stories anymore. Mm. There's room for The world is is ready for stories, but um, people are hungry for authentic stories. Sure. And as you're saying, um, Lisa, a lot of people, you can there's a little bit more trust that the authentic story will come from somebody who who knows that community well but there's also something that editors ask which is especially if you're writing outside of your own racial or ethnic or whatever community is to say tell me what research you've done Sure. Because so, if you haven't done your due diligence and you're writing outside your experience, then what are you writing about, sure. even if it's fiction? So it, there's nobody saying you absolutely can't. There's a lot of people saying it's better to have those voices coming from wherever they, they they
1: originate. You said that so also, much more eloquently than I did. No,
2: no permission slip. Um, but if you have a story, to, what I feel like when I write is that nobody else can write my books. Absolutely. They can write very similar books on similar topics. Um, I'm writing a pirate book right now. There can be a lot of people writing pirate books, but nobody will write my book because it's coming through my own soul when I write a book. Um, And that's so if you're writing a book that's that's uh, a topic that maybe you don't know much about, why are you compelled to write this particular story? Because you have to be passionate and compelled to tell this story. Otherwise, maybe someone else is the better storyteller for that story. You um you don't have to necessarily write about your own life, about only what happens in your own house or your own apartment in sure. 2021. But you do have to give it authenticity and, um, and seek readers. Um, I do that for even the Griffins. It was set in um, England. American characters visiting England, and I'm an American character who visited England a lot, but I had British readers read it over to say, hey, you know, you got this wrong, or that's not how we say that. So the more you bring in a community to help you, nobody can know everything.
1: And I would I would add to that um, being, Intentional and including people outside of maybe who you're most familiar with in order to get get authentic feedback, not just in a vacuum, right? I know I'm going to farm this out to five people who are going to tell me that I'm awesome, but (laughs) but am I willing to put it out there? And and how am I how am I ready to receive some feedback? Not necessarily, you know, overt criticism or being told you don't have the right to do that, but but am I doing my due diligence, as you said, and 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 doing true research, and am I willing to have that conversation? Yeah,
2: and so um, there's a group in Madison, Wisconsin, that is the, um, it's part of the University of Wisconsin, and it's the Cooperative Children's Book Center, um, and they have for decades, I'm not sure when they got started, but it's been a long time they've been around, they've been tracking how many picture books and how many children's books for other ages have um, had characters of different races and other things? They track disability, um, just various me- metrics for diversity. And, you know, in the 70s, there was a little bit of a bump up. And then it went down again. Um, And I think we reached the low point, what was it in the 90s or the early 2000s where such a tiny percentage of all children's books, you know, thousands of children's books are published every year, new ones, in addition to all the ones we already have, tiny fraction had non-white main characters. Um, And it's, (laughs) if you sum it up this way, there's a lot more main characters who are bunnies and bears and bugs than there are children of color in the picture book world and this is in a nation where more than half of young children of our country are non-white so it's it's um it's something that's hugely talked about in the writer's world and rightfully should be
1: and i and i find because i i've I've exhausted my own personal what's left of my personal book collection right after owning a center um, most of my books have been borrowed to the point of of disrepair and and recycling um, but what the ones I still have around I, I read through on on the porch chat so now I'm I'm at the library and and I'm finding that it's it's a struggle cuz you're right they are all I mean I think the the pile I have right now to read for this week are all bears and I'm like, that's a, you know, okay. And I
2: love bears. I like, do like bears. And,
1: and like, where are the other ones? And I find, and I don't know, maybe it's judgy, you know, I, but, but I find I have a real high, the minute it's teachy or preachy, I, I, I shut down completely. And, and, and at least my library right now is, I, I'm, i have I'm disappointed in in the collection that's there and i live in mm, probably a more spanish neighborhood community now than necessarily african american but i mean even that like i don't feel that my current library represents the people who are using it mm-hmm. to the degree that in my world it it maybe should and for the books that are there you know if if I feel that that teachy preachy vibe in the first couple of sentences, I put it down because I because I'm like, I don't want to film myself reading this because I'm sending a message that this is a good book. And it, and if it's not meeting the my criteria, you know, I I don't know, I feel I'm I
2: love that criteria. I mean, I, I think kids have it very big and then when you get to be adult some part of your brain sort of disconnects and you think oh that's a good book because it's teaching kindness or because it's like let's start with story and real first because you know every kid can turn off that 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 like bs switch oh i'm being preached at i don't like this yeah they know it
1: (laughs) exactly especially if the book is selected is in response to something unfolding currently in the classroom you know you know if they're, the 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 timely topic oh instead of actually talking about the situation at hand i'll read a book kids know they're not stupid
2: you can do both however i think often i love using books as a launching pad for then having the talk or you know having I
1: like i i take a page from Bev Boz who used to say that um the book is often, the the child will, well, I'll just say what she used to say, that her preference was that the book was already in the children's world. Like books were always available about your dog dying or books were always available about some of those bigger emotions. We didn't, we didn't pull out the big guns, so to speak, after, you know, the Monday after the dog died, but mm-hmm. that, but we no. might bring it out the Monday after the dog died, but it was already in your repertoire. So it might it might get beyond that uh, uh, initial, I don't know, trying to meet the kid. That, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say.
2: That, that it's it's become part of regular life. And the kid themselves might bring you that book because they know exactly. of it. That's the, that's the idea. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of books, curated book lists. I think it's it's important to, um, there's the Brown Bookshelf, there's all kinds of good ones out there. There's your local librarian who probably has um, wonderful recommendations. And I think it's, you know, you said it sounds a little snooty to have curated lists, but at the same time, nobody has time to read all the books. It took a COVID shutdown for you to even read what you had in your own bookshelves. So it can be really helpful to have some guidance of um and also to learn about new books that are out there in addition to good ones and old ones because not all older books um, are ones that we can't share anymore. There's a lot sure. that have aged well and there's a lot that say, like, hmm, well, you know what? That worked for my childhood, but I think the world has moved on.
0: Yeah. Can, can I plug a list? Sure. Yeah. Friend of the show, Josie the Librarian, has been uh, sending me book recommendations to share on the Playvolution HQ site that I run, and we've got the whole collection that's playvolutionhq.com slash books, and then if you go to the children's book selection there, there's the stuff that Josie's recommending, and she's a professional children's librarian who actually thinks about all the stuff we've been talking about, so I think it's a, and again, I haven't read all of them because you can't right but uh i think by there we're putting up two new ones a week and there were already a hundred plus there so it's a it's a good place to jump off if you uh if you trust the uh the curating powers of josie the librarian hi josie
1: and to that i'll add and it sounds like a shameless plug um, sometimes with those lists, you still have to then go find them, right. It, you know, got to go find that book or purchase that book or see if I can borrow that book. Um, I've been reading them actually. So you can actually listen to them on, uh, the ooey gooey lady Instagram and on YouTube. They're, they're there as well. So if you hear the story, so to speak. And I'm, I guarantee that there's cross fertilization with the lists of what I've been reading and what Jeff has up on the site from Josie. So you can hear it and then go get it. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. And having a book read aloud to you is such a gift. I think, you know, whether it's an adult listening to you as the ooey gooey lady reading aloud, or whether it's a child hearing it there is really nothing that compares. Although if you're reading on a video, it's not quite the same as you sitting on someone's lap. (laughs)
1: True, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. I have had, um, this is a sidebar conversation, but, but since COVID and since doing the porch time story times, I have gotten so many heartfelt, emails and videos of of children reading back to me, of their parents saying things like, I was so glad you read that one book because I hate reading that book. And now they can just watch you read it over and over and over again. Um, I know this is an auditory platform, but I'm going to tell this was so far my favorite story. I was reading a book um, on, on the porch time chat and Porch time, story time, sorry. And it was a very long book. It was like a a horizontally long book. And I pointed that out. I said, this is a very long book. Not a long in story time telling you, but long. The book is very long. And this one lady filmed her daughter reading to her dollies holding the book up and was so the mom was filming her from the back, right? And she held it up and she put her finger all across the bottom of the book and said, this is a very long book, (laughs) just like Miss Lisa read on the porch. And I was just dying. I just- Right. It's, I just. Love- I have
2: to ask you how long the book is because I had a book as a child about a stream. It was about how a stream starts and how it gets bigger and how it becomes a river and it goes out to the ocean. And the book unfolded and it was about six or seven feet long.
1: Oh boy. And then you oh. turned
2: it over and you could do the other part of the river's story. And oh, that's really awesome. Really
1: cool. This was a big, long book. That was book. a very long <laughs> book. Yeah. No, this was just like one of those books now that are just horizontally based as opposed to vertically based it wasn't
2: not a six foot long it was not a
1: six foot long book but it was kind of awkward to hold up while you're filming and reading at the same time but
2: so I think that, um, I think what you said earlier, Lisa, about we often go to the books that just, we remember the books that are on our shelves, the books maybe that we were read to as a child. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with loving those books, but go back to them, read through it first, see what you think. Uh, is this a book you'd want to share with um, any child that you're reading to? And, and maybe, they, maybe it is. So, so go with the love, but expand the love because my gosh, there's so many, good books out there and i'll just give a plug for one of my new podcasters kelly baptist she um, has a brand new picture book coming out in march of 2021 and it's called the electric slide and kai and it's about a child who has to learn to dance before the big wedding in the family so
0: <laughs> any other final thoughts before we wrap up lisa
1: well i i may just throwing it out to because i Well, let me just throw it out it's it's a small tidbit unless it gets us off into a tangent but there's a researcher out of Ohio named Ruslan Slutsky, and his initial research was whether or not children choose books by their covers and um surprisingly or actually not surprisingly he found out that they did and in his research he gets really super i know right like what what and his research got really specific about black and white covers versus more intricate design covers versus more realistic covers versus more fantasy covers and um what I like to point out during the workshop is not necessarily that I need you to go read his research, but just in case that is news to you, just kind of being cognizant of the fact that there's some children's books out there that have amazing covers, but not really that good story. And the flip side, right? Some, and this is actually like some self-disclosure. This has actually been my biggest struggle while I'm going to the library to get more books to read for the porch is I'm like flipping right by him because I don't like the covers. And I'm forcing myself to go beyond just having this kind of, you know, reaction to the art on the front and reading it and realizing it that sometimes beyond, you know, maybe not a cover that's grabbing my attention still could be a story that's worth that's worth reading. So I I just think that's a a last little tidbit I'll throw out there.
2: So in other words, picture books, the pictures are important. Mm -hmm. Pictures are important. What a deep spot. I think
1: Well, and that that conversation, right? And we all know this too, but just that you know, not every children's book author gets to choose who does the illustrations. and uh, and so there could be, in theory, a lot of room for disconnect between the intention behind the author and what images end up capturing that. Um, I also think that I throw it out there just as a little bit of a reminder that if your kids are like, I don't want to, you know, it, it might not be that they don't want to read, but that they're just not being pulled towards some of the covers that, that maybe of the books that we've provided, especially if they're children who aren't um, reading on their own yet to where they can take that initiative and turn the cover and see what's underneath it. But when they are still kind of looking just at the cover to see if it captures their attention. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I would just add on the on the um, writer and illustrator partnership. It's true that if you're traditionally published, you don't get to choose the illustrator very, very rarely get to. Um, However, you're also only half the storyteller. So as you're writing a picture book, you can't detail and micromanage what the illustrator's gonna do, half the story or sometimes more than the half comes out in the pictures. And that's something that draws kids into is all the story that's being told actively just through the details of the pictures.
1: Oh yeah. And those, some of my favorite books are the ones that have a total subplot going on in the pictures that, you, that the words are not acknowledging at all. Sam and Dave dig a hole is the one that instantly comes to my mind, the little subplot going on there. Mm -hmm.
2: well we can go on and on and on about children's books so maybe we will have to do that sometime but i'm thrilled lisa that you came and joined us for our very first special edition of renegade rules and it's a great segue because it's all about books and children's books which is what the focus of my new podcast Wordsmitten will be so um thanks for being on and i love all the direction that your new um newly revamped
1: workshop is going Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it.
0: This has been a very special episode of Renegade Rules. Back sometime with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.
2: Bye.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to ExplorationsEarlyLearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy... Whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.
1: Oh.